Yuan Chun, vividly recalled the garden's beauties. She was sure that her father, out of a zealous reverence for the emperor and herself, would have kept it all locked and closed since her visit, and would have allowed no one else to enter. And she felt this to be a waste and a shame. The more so, when her family contained so many poetical young ladies who would have found inspiration in its scenery. Not to mention, the benefit their presence would have bestowed on the garden itself. For, as is well known, when lovely woman smiles not, all nature's charms are dead. Assuredly, the girls must be allowed into the garden. It should become their home. And if the girls, why not Bao Yu? He had grown up in their midst. He was different from other boys. If he were not allowed into the garden as well, he would consider himself left out in the cold. Unquestionably, she should ask for him to be admitted, along with the girls. Everybody, welcome to another exciting installation of Rereading the Stone. This is Kevin Wilson, joined as always by William Jones. Will, how are you doing today? I am just fantastic. How about you? Another great day. Uh, I'm really excited to dip into chapter 23. I say this every week, but this is a highly iconic uh, chapter full of the most, some of the most precious memories this novel is uh, apt to generate. Um, so there's a lot to talk about, a lot of things, kind of some references to delve into. We have some poetry to, uh, to evaluate. Um, and, uh, but before we do any of that, let's really quickly, let's do our usual uh, roundup, review, and uh, summary. What do you think? Sure thing. Yeah. So last time, chapter 22, it's the birthday of one of the characters. So the novel focuses on this wealthy Chinese noble family, the, the Jia clan, and one of the young women of the family, uh, Xue Chai. it's her birthday. So the, the, the grown-ups, as it were, uh, organize some, some food and some drink and some plays to entertain. Uh, they have some actors come in. And, you know, the the guests are able to choose different scenes or different um, songs from, from various kind of plays or operas, and the actors will perform them. And so they're kind of picking and choosing as they go. And during the performance, the birthday girl, Bao Chai, uh, she recites uh, an aria to um, Jia Bao Yu, who is our kind of central character. He's a teenage boy of about the same age. Um, she recites this aria to him, which he, he finds very moving. And then once all the performances are finished, the, the matriarch of the family, 
grandmother Jia, she invites some of the actors to come up um, uh, and kind of meet them. And it turns out they're actually just young children, uh, you know, so child actors. Anyway, another one of the women of the household, um, Wang Xifeng, observes that one of the actors looks like someone they know. Um, now, everyone present knows who she's talking about. Um, it's another one of the young women of the family, um, Lin Daiyu, who's known for having, for being quite moody and having quite a, um, being quite quick to uh, get angry or upset. So everybody knows that that's who she's referring to, but but nobody says who, until one of the young cousins, Shi Xiangyun, blurts out that she must be referring to Lin Daiyu. Now, our main character, Bao Yu, gives her this look as if to say, as if to say, no, no, don't, you know, uh, but it, but it's too late. And because uh, Xiang Yun, the young cousin, realizes she's kind of slightly made a fool of herself, she, she kind of storms off upset. So Bao Yu follows after her to try and write things, but um, he, he's unsuccessful. And in the process, Dai Yu, the, the one who was compared unfavorably to the actor, she also ends up upset with him. Um, so he, he kind of feels all caught in the middle and like it's not really his fault. And so he, he kind of goes off in a huff and writes this um, rather self-pitying poetry. Later, his two girl cousins, Lin Daiyu and Xia Baochai, find the um, find the poetry and kind of um, make fun of him for it. And eventually he, he kind of realizes he's been a fool and snaps out of it. Sometime later, um, they receive a, a lantern from the Imperial Palace. So a couple of chapters previously, one of the young women of the clan, uh, Jia Yuanchun, was chosen as a, chosen to be a concubine of the emperor. Um, so this is a, a great personal honor um, and it's also a, a kind of sign of favor for the family. And so she's now kind of part of the imperial household and, and lives at the imperial palace um, permanently. Um, and we get the sense that she's maybe a little bored um, with life there. There's maybe not that much to do. And so what she's done is she has um, prepared a riddle and she sent it to the um, to her family for everyone to have a, a try at, at um, solving it and also to come up with their own riddles. And this kind of sparks an interest in the family in riddles generally. And so they have a kind of party where um, everyone tries writing one and then everyone tries solving them. Um, and in those riddles, there's a lot of kind of symbolic uh, meaning kind of encoded. And so we learn quite a bit about the character of each person who has written the riddle. In this chapter, in, in chapter 23, as mentioned, um, Yuan Chun fairly recently became an imperial concubine. And so the family, in order to have an appropriate venue to receive visits from her, because she's a member of the imperial household, um, they, they demolished a, a large part of their mansion uh, and they converted it to this luxurious garden. And the garden is full of, you know, lakes and streams, flowers, trees, rocky hills, but also various kind of halls and pavilions and little cottages and the like. Uh, it also has a, a troupe of child actors and a temple staffed with, with nuns. So, you know, it's, it's really quite kind of over the top. Anyway, a few chapters ago, there was a grand opening of the garden uh, on the occasion of Yuan Chun's first visit. Um, but since that time, the garden has remained closed. And uh, Yuan Chun clearly thinks that this is a waste. 
And so she orders that the garden be opened to the, the various young women of the household, but also to our central character, Bao Yu, who is, uh, Bao Yu is her younger brother. Um, so each one of them takes one of the, the buildings in the garden as their, as their new residence. And in this chapter, we see how um, Bao Yu in particular adapts to his new life in the garden. Uh, and so to begin with, he's kind of blissfully happy there. And he writes a series of poems to record what life in the garden is like across each of the four seasons. And now these poems kind of gain a degree of acclaim. Uh, and for a while, his his poetry, his calligraphy and drawings and such are, are uh, celebrated locally and very much in demand. Um, but this soon gives way to a feeling of kind of listlessness and boredom for Bayou, which nothing seems able to cure. Um, eventually, one of his manservants uh, buys him a gift, which is some slightly kind of, it's, we might say, romantic literature. It's kind of smutty and a bit erotic, um, but Bayou finds it thrilling. Um, and he, he shares this literature with his, with his cousin and love interest, Lin Daiyu, the one who he fought with in the previous chapter, which she finds kind of deeply affecting. Now, at the end of the chapter, she's wandering alone in the garden when she hears the troupe of actors practicing an opera. Um, and the words of the opera stir these very strong feelings of kind of sorrow in her heart. And she finds herself suddenly weeping. Uh, and then suddenly a hand taps her on the shoulder. And that's where the chapter ends on a, on a kind of cliffhanger. Wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've said a, a few times in the past that, you know, the the novel is finally beginning. You know, I think I said that when the garden was first um, created and, and they took their first introductory tour uh, around its premises that I felt like, okay, now we're finally into the, uh, the thick of things. Yeah. Um, but here in this chapter, now that they've, they're beginning to move in, maybe this is where, this is the true beginning uh, after maybe a few uh, false starts, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, we, we we feel like we've really exactly finished laying the groundwork and, and mm -hmm. you know, because it's such a mm -hmm. kind of grand novel and because there are so many characters mm -hmm. and different threads, it takes time to lay all those foundations. So maybe it's no longer introductory material. We're finally, uh, we are in the garden and it's pretty exciting, I think. So even though this chapter is, in a sense, uneventful from one perspective, uh, it's actually a kind of a, it's full of excitement and life. And there are a few really um, iconic scenes that really stand out, especially toward the end with uh, Lin Dayu's burying the flowers that have uh, freshly fallen. Um, and that's mm -hmm. probably, I would say that's one of the most famous images from this whole novel. So it's really, uh, it's kind of exciting to finally uh, arrive upon this iconic scene so the title of this chapter is um words from the western chamber supply a joke that offends and songs from the soul's return move a tender heart to anguish and so both the the western chamber and the soul's return are um examples of um sort of romantic um literature or or, or theater um uh, of the sort um mm -hmm. i just mentioned um and we'll have kind of cause to talk about them more a bit later in the um, 
in the back, the kind of later part of the chapter. But uh, I think it's worth noting that they're they're kind of picked mm. out in the in the title of the in the title of the chapter, and so they're they're given definitely a, a sense of importance, I suppose. You know, they're almost kind of highlighted. Yeah, um, it's interesting in that uh, both of those references, you know, don't occur explicitly until the second half of the chapter, more or less. But, you know, once you have them in your mind, you kind of realize that some of the preceding material uh, is, you know, is built out of the same kind of referential space. Uh, and so, like, for instance, um, I was thinking a little bit about how, so if we talk about uh, the Western Chamber, the Shishangji, uh, that story was composed sometime in the 13th or 14th century uh, by a, a Yuan dynasty playwright, Wang Shifu. And um, mm. it was based on an earlier, a Tang era story uh, written by uh, Yuan Zhen, either in the 8th or the 9th century. Um, it was originally c called like the story of Ying Ying, Ying Ying Zhuan. Yeah. We don't have to go through the entire um, story of uh, Shishangji or Mudanting, uh, but it's important to recognize that it's really comparable to our story insofar as being, you know, a tale of um, romantic affection that occurs outside of uh, ordinary routes of parental approval um, and the, the kind of the, uh, the challenges and the vagaries of navigating, um, you know, true love that might occur despite, you know, social convention and uh, conventional forms of propriety and, and what have you. Um, so it, it is kind mm. of very much mm. in the same mold of our story where we have this budding uh, love interest between Bao Yu and Lin Dai Yu, and uh, it's going to go against the, the wishes of, uh, you know, relevant parental figures. So before we dive into all of the stuff that happens in the garden there's a brief episode at the beginning which i think we need to just tick off because it will have some significance in later chapters okay um so so we have um a conversation between uh jia lian and wang xifeng right so uh he is a one of the young men of the of the jia clan uh and wang xifeng is his his wife his his rather kind of sharply intelligent but rather prickly wife and um they have a discussion about um the the nuns in the garden so as mentioned there are there is a, a temple in the garden uh, and it's staffed by 24 kind of nun initiates mm -hmm. but because the garden isn't permanently in use at least in its kind of ceremonial use for for visits from the imperial household there's no need really for those nuns to be there. Um, and they had thought to um, just kind of send them off to various different temples, mm -hmm. right? Um, but um, instead they have the idea to take all of them together and deliver them to the, the temple of the Iron Threshold, which is, it's a temple that's kind of in some way sponsored or, 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 or patronized by the, the Jia clan, basically. By, by their family um, and so they they have some kind of almost like ownership type uh, stake in it and so what they need to find is somebody to arrange for them all to be kind of 
transported there and, and kind of deposited and set up at this temple. So you have the kind of central families of the of the Jia clan, but you have also various other people who are related to them. So they have the surname mm-hmm. Jia, but they're not kind of right in the in the in the center. And so you have lots of different, particularly um, young men at a loose end, um, competing for the right to do various jobs for the family in order to mm-hmm. earn a bit of money. And we hear that there are two men in particular, Jia uh, Qian and Jia Yun who um, we think are probably both, both about the same age, kind of 19, 20 years old, mer- mm-hmm. uh, more or less, um, who were hoping, yeah, to earn a bit of money and, and perhaps advance their their uh, kind of mm-hmm. interests or careers um, by doing various odd jobs for the family. Um, and the, the point to observe is they decide that responsibility for handling these 24 young nuns will fall to the young man, Jia Tian, mm-hmm. and the other young man, Jia Yun, they will find another job for him uh, as soon as something comes up. And it mm. looks like there may be some need to plant trees and flowers in some part of the garden in future. And so if that does come to pass, then they'll give that to uh, Jia Yun mm-hmm. when, when the chance comes along. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jia Qin, he, he gets this job. He, um, he gets three months pay up front and he he you know cashes it all in straight away and then he you know carts off the 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 nuns to the temple um mm-hmm. and uh, there's just one image where you know he um he in in the english translation we're using by david hawkes they're described as 300 tails of shining silver um but in the chinese they're bai hua hua the um san bai liang uh, so they're 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 bai being white and hua being flower so like kind of flowery white basically shining white um so yeah. i don't want us to just dwell on it for a moment because it's um you can imagine that for being the kind of poor relative of some illustrious family you know you're constantly looking for the opportunity to use their their power influence and wealth to make a bit of something for yourself and so you know i get that the feeling that for him on finally being paid there's this you know uh <laughs> the money is almost kind of glowing in his eyes he's seeing the dollar signs uh-huh yeah you know I, I, you can imagine these are really good uh like tales you know maybe from the, the from the like local store or the, the this local bank or, or the, the the household you know so it's probably a higher quality than he's seen before it probably was shiny you know uh if it's of a like a higher quality gold, you know, if it's pure, you, well, you imagine it's like when you get it's like you know freshly pressed uh, dollar bills kind of thing, mm-hmm. or you know like same idea, you know, yeah. or, or like yeah, 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 or, or when you get like a new coin that's just been issued and it's like really still like shiny and flawless. <laughs> anyway, I wanted yeah, to I, I, I wanted to take the time there because uh, Jia Yun in particular will start to become important in the in the ensuing chapters, and so. I wanted to take a moment just to introduce him there. Okay, that's a good idea. You know, I think the next major thing we should talk about is uh, kind of a surprise uh, move that Yuan Chun pulls that allows, you know, the garden to be opened again, right? So we discussed in the opening that um, the garden, it's this like ritual space. And so it's been closed and sort of sealed off 
uh, ever since Yuan Chun's departure, her return to the uh, her uh, gilded cage on imperial grounds, right? Um, and so she's in the process now of uh, she's taking all the poems they wrote and, and she's having them uh, engraved to sort of commemorate the event. And, and also she's she's arranging them in terms of in order of how good they are. Right, right. And so she's, yeah, she's putting <laughs> all the good ones up front. She's exercising her kind of uh, juridical uh, authority both over uh, matters of law and over matters of aesthetics. Mm. But also you can sense that she has um, the interests of her family, of, of especially, you know, of Baoyu and her, her fellow siblings in mind. Because she really wants, she knows that the, uh, the garden has been sealed up. It's kind of going to waste. And she, she not only suggests that they uh, are to um, use the garden, but she kind of like issues a decree that they like, they have to, it's, it's, you know, it's uh, their order to, uh, it's kind of an order to have fun. That's how, that's how I interpret it. Yeah, it's it. an imperial, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's an imperial order. They must An do. injunction exactly. to enjoy, to give it like a kind of a, a Zizekian uh, spin. Uh, <laughs> and so, what did you, how did you respond to this? It, I thought there was one thing that was kind of interesting about it, which is um, part of her thought process in the Hawks translation is almost like removed from the paragraph and, and separated out as a, as a, as a little poem. Mm. Um which goes as follows, you know. She was, she's thinking, you know, it's not only a waste for the young women themselves not to be able to use the garden, but also for the garden itself it's a waste. You know, it's um, so it says, as is well known, when lovely woman smiles not, all nature's charms are dead. Um, and, you know, in, in the Chinese it's jiaren luopo, hualiu wuyan. So jiaren being here literally like good people, beautiful people but it's sort of like women mm -hmm. beautiful women particularly uh poor being kind of like downcast downhearted so when when the beautiful women are downcast uh hualio is flowers and willows so yeah kind of nature manifest in 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 plants i suppose um wuyan means like it has no like color no brilliance basically mm -hmm. so she's kind of saying there's this maybe kind of symbiosis between them or certainly there's it's it's there's a there's a kind of two-way relationship between nature is there to be enjoyed and therefore is if it's not being enjoyed it's being wasted but also there's this wonderful thing that can be enjoyed by not allowing the the young people of the household to kind of go in there and make the most of it their lives are being kind of deprived of this of this brilliance i suppose I, I would also add kind of, uh, I was interpreting that in terms of sort of uh, the, the, a classic almost aesthetics question of, you know, what's the most beautiful, you know, like a real flower or, you know, flower-like human beauty, right? And this is the kind of thing that appears in like Kant's third critique. And it's, 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 it's like this like perennial kind of enigma and contradiction in uh, the philosophy of art, the philosophy of beauty that uh, whether to uh, to associate natural beauty with, you know, human or sensuous beauty, or whether to create like a hierarchy between the two. 
Well, in this case as well, if you think about it, the, all of the nature that exists within this garden is artificial, you know, because it's a constructed garden. And we had, we had this kind of discourse about like nature and like the meaning of what is natural when they mm -hmm. were first looking around the garden in chapter 17, I think it was. can't remember off the top of my head. I, I do think there's a strong sense here of um, this uh, this like interface between the inner and the outer world, though, right? Which is like um, Yuan-Chun's view seems to be that the outer world has no it has no kind of like value without being enjoyed, you know. Mm -hmm. Like in order to be in order to be worth something, it has to be enjoyed by people, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, if a flower falls in a garden. And nobody's there to enjoy it. Did it really? Yeah. You know, was it really yeah. beautiful? That's kind of the. Uh, if nobody's there to to sweep it up and. Yeah, and tip to... it into a into a stream. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or bury it in soil. Yeah, yeah. Yuan decision to uh, open the garden sparks a a great deal of excitement um, among the members of the household, mm -hmm. and none more so than our central character, Jia Baoyu. Right. Yes. The, um, yes. He is very, very excited at the prospect. And um, so he's thinking about, you know, which house he wants to live in and which house other people should live in. And we imagine kind of talking 300 miles an hour to his grandmother mm -hmm. um, about all of his kind of excitement. <laughs> and at that point, word comes that his father wants to see him. And, you know, this is met with dread on the part of Bayou because he knows his father basically kind of despises him. Mm -hmm. And he, in return feels a real kind of he kind of really detests and fears his father and so his initial reaction is very clearly not to want to go and uh and yeah i've i've, I've picked out some of the um it's not quite kind of five stages of grief here but <laughs> we have first um he uh the chinese says Baoyu dial a banshang so like Baoyu delayed for an age um he uh so like he immediately became despondent so lian is his face Dran is to like Dran is like to turn to 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 flip almost and sir is color so the color in his face drained completely i suppose we would say and then he's kind of tugging at his grandmother and he <laughs> he almost thinks that if he if he clings on to her tightly enough he won't have to go <laughs> and it uses this image of him twisting himself up like um something that's called a nyogur tang which is literally a kind of like a twisted a twisted malt candy basically it's a kind of traditional like chinese um kind of candy or sweet um and it's you it's kind of made by taking all of these various strands and twisting them very very tightly together and so that's the image of him of that's how desperate he is not to see his father he's he's winding himself every way that he can around i i guess his <laughs> his his poor grandmother's um arm or body mm -hmm. or something um you know begging not to go um and so when he yeah when he finally uh departs on his trip it's like said he he he's traveling at a kind of comically slow rate that's almost like unimaginable yeah. <laughs> to the extent that uh a number of uh Lady Wang's maids sort of, um, you know, catch sight of him 
you know, in the Hawks advancing at the snail's pace. He's an easy mm. target, you know, because he's not moving very fast. And so a few of them go up to him and sort of <laughs> tease him. I think it's Golden who says, oh, like, oh, I, I have this new lipstick. Would you like to try it? Which is mm. uh, like expert kind of like finely tuned ridicule. I really enjoyed that. Well, because we, we know from tra- previous chapters, right, that he's, he's very uh-huh. fond of women's makeup. Um, and particularly... He likes to eat it sometimes, yeah. which is very strange yes, behavior yes. to me. But so eventually, he yeah, he plucks up the courage and he goes into the room where um, his mother and father are, as well as various other um, members of the family. And we have this, we have this really great moment where, for a brief, fleeting second, it seems like his father has had a kind of change of heart towards him. Mm. Right? He sees his son, and he sees how, kind of handsome elegant and kind of this natural intelligence and grace that he has and then he looks at his other son his other his younger son jia huan who he's had by a a concubine (laughs) and he considers how kind of wretched and pathetic and how kind of Mm. crude his manners are um and that only serves to kind of accentuate his his elder son's brilliance um Mm -hmm. And in that moment, he feels almost all of the the kind of normal loathing that he feels for Bayou kind of drain away. Weirdly, in the Chinese, it's expressed as being like eight or nine tenths of the um, of the usual loathing he feels is, okay. is kind of reduced, um, uh, which feels like oddly specific to me. But, you know, um, I get the point. But sadly, mm. this is only fleeting, right? And in an instant, he returns to his usual kind of tone of contempt mixed with occasionally berating him. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, it's Bao Yu's lucky day because he is, he got the kind of the go-ahead to enter the garden, uh, which is what he really wanted anyway. Uh, there's one sort of uh, really noteworthy and enjoyable moment where Bao Yu is talking with his, to his mother. Um, they're talking about, you know, some pills uh, she had given him to take. It's it's not that part's not really um that important. What is important though is that uh, Jia Zheng, his father, overhears uh, Bao Yu's talking about Aroma, uh, who we we will call uh, Bao Yu himself named, uh, and and it's kind of uh, yeah she she's she's one of his maids, and it's kind of a uh, a bit over the top. It's a bit too suggestive i guess you know it's uh it's shiran in the original so it's like literally like to to attract people is would be a, like a more literal rendering of it um and, and so uh of course uh jia Zheng is displeased and he's well aware that of course this is bao yu's doing it's his you know profligate mm. uh lustful son who would uh give the maid such a uh suggestive name um but they all they all deny it until until finally uh Bao Yu he he's like I'm kind of cornered I have to uh take credit for this and so he says you know the well her surname is Flowers Hua and then he he references the line in the old poem that we saw on uh Ching Ching's bedroom wall in the Hawks it's the flower's aroma, breeze of hotter days. We've talked about that in previous episodes. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, and so his mother says, okay, well, look, just just change change her name. Call yes. her something different. <laughs> but by this point, his his father is like, it's like he's not angry. He's just disappointed. Uh-huh. Um, he's like, no, it's there's no need to change it. You know, this is just yet more evidence of how, you know, you you are unable to devote yourself to any kind of honest work mm-hmm. or observance of proper duty. You're all kind of bound up in this f- frivolous poetry and romance. And Yeah, uh, Jia Zheng is not poetry-pilled. He's no, anti. He's definitely not. He took the anti-poetry <laughs> pill. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, <laughs> so. And then he, he calls him something um, in Chinese, which is zuo nie de chu sheng. And this uh means kind of essentially something something almost like evil. Um but I think Hawks translates <laughs> it as wretched. Um mm-hmm. yeah. but the second part, Chu Sheng, is the same insult he used several times in an earlier chapter. So when the when the garden was first completed, they took a tour and in the following tradition they needed to come up with both poetic names for different parts of the garden and actual poems to accompany them. And um, and so Bao Yu accompanies his father and various others around the garden, and sometimes he's called upon to offer a a name or a poem for a part of the garden. And frequently, his father expresses his displeasure at the boy's um, efforts using this term "chu mm-hmm. sheng," which is kind of like yeah, almost kind of like a beast, you know? Um, mm. Yeah. You know. But funnily enough, it's also it's also used at two other points that we've passed so far. The first is in chapter seven, when Bao Yu and Xi Feng are visiting the the neighbors next door, and their servant gets very drunk and starts shouting at everyone. One of the ways he chooses to disparage his masters is using this term, Chu Sheng. Mm. And then further in the in chapter twelve, when Xi Feng is the the object of unwelcome she's the object of unwelcome sexual attention from the character Jia Rei. She also uses this term Chu Sheng to describe him. Um so it's a pretty unpleasant term, <laughs> I think is the mm. takeaway. Anyway, with that he sends him he sends him running. And so yeah, he he returns to his chambers, um he speaks briefly with uh Speak of the Devil with uh Aroma and um she's pleased that he hasn't been there's no signs that he's been beaten (laughs) kind of a a nice detail um (laughs) and then he immediately goes and he sees daiyu um Mm -hmm. and they have a a lively conversation and it's clear that daiyu has already started thinking about where she might wish to uh reside in the garden Mm -hmm. uh and so of course it's it's natural to like try to interpret why each character chooses the place they do. And I'm still kind of, um, there's just so much to think about this chapter. I'm not sure if I have a, a, a fully formed explanation for everything, but you can kind of see, um, you can get a sense for it, right? So um, let's see here. Dayu chooses the, the Naiad's house. Yeah, so so a naiad is a in ancient Greek mythology a kind of nymph that lives in a stream or other body of water. Mm. Um, and so in in the Chinese that's xiaoxiang guan, and xiaoxiang being um, 
I, uh, a name I think for the area what's now kind of Hunan Hubei in China, which is an area of lots of different lakes and streams. So it's, it's mm -hmm. that, evoking that kind of imagery. And I guess that makes sense, right? So it's associated with spring, which is her sort of uh, quadrant in my mind. Uh, it's also associated with water. Um, so we can think about, you know, the water, which uh, was used to uh, uh, sort of cultivate the, the crimson flower. Mm. She also mentions she just likes the, uh, the winding path and the, the bamboo near, nearby. Yeah, you get the impression it's quite a secluded and peaceful spot. Mm -hmm. It's somewhere where you can kind of escape from from the yeah. world and all of its noise. Meanwhile, uh, Bao Yu has chosen kind of an adjacent uh, dwelling, the the House yeah. of Green Delights. Um, yeah. What do we say about that? Do you remember what we in that chapter when we were well, first introduced? We know that this is a. This is a kind of little cottage, and the thing that's notable about it is that it has these green, like banana or plantain palms, which have these very broad, waxy green leaves. Uh, but it also has a kind of crab apple tree that puts forth very, um, like, very numerous red blossoms, and so it has this red and green together. And so his other. His other cousin and other love interest, Bao Chai, she takes the Allspice Court, which, if we remember, is a, a kind of courtyard and building, I suppose, in, um, in the ridge of this artificial mountain created within the garden, um, which is full. At its centre, there's a, a kind of small, a small hillock, and all over it are just. A, a, an innumerable variety of different um, plants um, which give off all of these different kind of aromas that all blend together into one um, and the fragrance of all these aromas we think is kind of apt to um, put you to sleep you know hmm. or certainly kind of to relax anyone who who visits and that reminds me actually she had the uh, she had the cold fragrance pill uh, which was also kind of a an assortment of ingredients all chosen at the proper time. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's a kind of there's, there's a thread there between her her Taoist all fragrance pill and now she's in the uh, all spice all spice garden. And then the uh, the other four are the the three Chun sisters, so Ying Chun, Tan Chun, and Xi Chun, and then. Bao Yu's uh, older brother's wife, Li Wan. So Bao Yu's older brother, Jia Zhu, he died prior to the start of the novel. And his wife, um, well, his widow, rather, um, Li Wan, is this kind of, you know, she's the perfect model of the, the kind of the good widow. And so where did the four of them each go? So Li Wan goes to uh, what's known as Sweet Rice Village, so that's Daoxiang uh, Sun, um, which I believe is the is the kind of Marie Antoinette style mock peasant village, um, mm. which has a little uh, has a little cottage and it has actual kind of fields and 
farmyard animals and that sort of thing um, dotted around. So I think that that's the that's the place she's she's staying. And then the three Trun sisters are taking kind of more, I guess, minor places around the around the garden. So so Si Chuan is taking this place called um in the Hawks it's the Lotus Pavilion, but the literal translation is Knotweed Breeze Pavilion. Uh so Liao Feng Xuan. Liao being yeah, mm-hmm. kind of knotweed, and then Feng being uh breeze or wind. Uh Tan mm-hmm. Chuan is taking somewhere called the Autumn the Autumn Studio. So uh Chiu Yan, Shu Jai, I think. And and you know, here if you really wanted to get Wuxing pilled, this would be a great opportunity to do it. Um, because we got some like interesting sort of symbols here. If you think about, uh, I was struck that uh, Tantrun receives the Autumn Studio. And so I was thinking, okay, well, she's the Autumn Studio. Then, I mean, Shitun has a fire radical in her name. So maybe she would be like the, the summer uh, she'd be in this summer location in the in the garden. I'd have to coordinate this closely. <laughs> I d- there's definitely research to this effect. Mm. And you know, Yuantrun, she's going to be spring itself, uh, but she's not there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Yingtrun maybe is going to fill out the remaining uh, co- coordinate, right? So she's going to be winter. Yeah. That may or may not be, you know, correspond with north. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and so I, I would kind of put a pin on that and. and I think we're going to have plenty of opportunity to unpack all of the different, like, symbolic significances yeah. of these different places. Uh-huh. Um, so. <laughs> but but each of them, yeah, gets to pick a pick a house, and they're also each given um, four more maids and two more nurses on top of their existing maids and nurses, and servants who already do all of the cleaning there. So, okay, there's yeah, this. Sure. Uh, I mean, I read that and I just couldn't believe, like, uh, just. <laughs> my notes just say, "Oh my God, how many servants do you need?" Question mark exclamation mark. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, <laughs> but I only mentioned it because I think some of those new servants may start to feature in the plot as we go forward. Okay, yeah. So then, having chosen places to stay, they mm. move into the garden, and there's this yeah. brief, there's this brief little. Um, kind of poem uh commemorating their arrival in the garden or i guess just a poetic line in the in the chinese it's uh dong shi so kind of at that time uh yuan nei within the garden hua zhao uh so it's the kind of like the flowers were kind of opening and beckoning mm-hmm. and then um i think the next one is xiu dai um which is kind of like like embroidered strips, something like that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's interesting is that the final part of this suggests that the arrival of the guests has, yeah, delivered the garden from from lonely days. It uses this term, more lonely, mm-hmm. to describe to describe the garden. And um, yeah, that kind of goes back to what Yuan Chun was saying before that um, the you know by by not allowing the young people into the garden, there's kind of deprive. There's deprivation, I suppose. That both sides are being deprived. Both the garden and the people are being deprived by being separated from each other. And that kind of reiterates what we were saying before, I think, right? It's not mm. a garden mm. if it's not Absolutely. enjoyed. And I guess it's at this stage that uh, 
in order it's almost like uh in a movie this would be the um the montage scene right because a lot of time <laughs> yeah. is going to pass basically a year passes um in montage form mm. but rather than a montage we have these um these fairly memorable uh poems said to have been written by the young scholar quote unquote uh Bao Yu himself and so there's four poems each dedicated to a different season uh like the happenings in a different season in the garden and so we can kind of i think we can we can maybe just give a taste for some of these in my own kind of research uh i've been spending a lot of time looking at uh the poetry and and trying to uh detect its sort of like what influences it has uh from earlier poetic periods in particular the like the tong era poetry that's sometimes explicitly mentioned but also just implicitly is uh, like a major influence. I, I think maybe even like we could do like a bonus episode at one point in time, delving more deeply into this material. Um, but for the purpose of our, of, of what sure. we're doing here, sure. I think maybe we could read through some of the Hawks translations, uh, talk about some things that might get lost in the shuffle, and maybe talk about these images. Maybe like delve into some of the symbolism. I think. What do you think? Uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, so, as we said, uh, on moving into the uh, garden, he's he's blissfully happy, um, and spends his time doing all sorts of uh, kind of interesting artistic pursuits. Um, but yeah, composes these four poems, and and they are each about nighttime in the different seasons. But the thing about them is there that I think it's worth noting is they're referred to as ji shi. Right, which is a particular kind of, it's almost spontaneous romantic poetry. That's there. That's the type of poems there are. They are. So mm -hmm. there's a, there's maybe a sense of them being, not, kind of, um, these aren't composed mm -hmm. over many months with lots of kind of going back and editing and 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 really, working on the best turns of phrase. They are intended to be, more of a kind of spontaneous off the yeah exactly of the moment type. Um, type poetry. Okay, so, the first poem, Spring. Behind silk hangings, in warm quilts cocooned, his ears half doubt the frog's first muted sound. Rain at his window strikes, the pillows cold. Yet to the sleeper's eyes, spring dreams unfold. Why does the candle shed its waxen tear? Why, on each flower, do angry drops appear? By uncouth din of giggling maids distressed, he burrows deeper in his silken nest. Okay, cool. So it's it's a it's yeah it's it's a good one. <laughs> I um <laughs> I feel like um each of the poems he seems to have uh, written while snuggled up in bed. Right there. I mean, I guess yeah, they're all night poems, right? I, I didn't, and that's also that's not rendered in the in the Hawks, but yeah, it's like Chun Ye. Xia uh, Ye, and so on and so forth. So Ye being night. Um, so this first one's like a, a spring night. There's, there's a few just kind of like fun details about this. Um, the first expression, you know, I've been looking at these, the reference to these sunset clouds, Xia. Uh, and this is another another Xia, 
but it's it's not actually a cloud in this case. It's a reference to the uh, the color of the um, the silk uh, drapes uh, that are located throughout the the compound. Ah. Uh. And that, that appears in this chapter, but also in a few other chapters, they'll talk explicitly about this. Um, so you, you didn't think this was like the the, the embroidery of the quilt itself? Um, it's possible they match, but I, I, I was thinking, you know, I, I was going to go along with uh, the Hawks rendering where it's, you know, you have yeah. the, the, the silk. I'm imagining a bed with a um, with a cover on it in the old style. Uh, and these silks are probably like yeah. around the frame of the br the frame of the bed, and and then beneath there's probably they might be matching, so they might be the same kind of uh, rosy sunset red, uh, but it, there's probably softer, uh, warmer materials um, like in direct contact with the sleeper. Yeah, I agree. It's it's probably like a, I imagine like a four poster canopy. Exactly. Style yeah. Exactly. Uh, and that's kind of um, the reference. What they have is like, xia xiao, so like, uh, like, you know, the sunset pink. And xiao is a word for like silk. Um, and that mm. that exact expression, uh, I found one only one reference in, in the whole Tren Tang Shi, the uh, complete poems, the, you know, the, the this, this major collection of Tang poetry. And it's actually from a, uh, a late Tang poet uh, who was referenced by uh, Jia Yuzun in chapter, chapter uh, two. Yeah. In chapter two, when he's discussing the uh, the three types of people, right? And there's those who are like you know in with positive fate, and those with um, inauspicious fate, uh, and then there's kind of the people in between, and these are the artists and the uh, the, maybe certain like philosophers and so on and so forth, and one of one of these like in between people uh, is a, a late Tang poet by the name of uh, Wen Tingyun, uh, and uh, who has kind of an interesting like personal background, uh, and actually at some point later in the uh, in the novel, uh, Bao Yu's poetry is explicitly compared to uh, this Wen Tingyun. Uh, and so you see, I, I was kind of like, I've been sort of like trying to compare these poems to this late Tang poet's, um, work. And you see like a lot of strong, um, aesthetic, maybe borrowings, you know, or homages going on here. In each of these artists, there's kind of this, a real like emphasis on these kind of lush, uh, scenes, you know, in a very emotive registry. There's one thing that's kind of uh, contentious in the in the Hawks rendering, where there's some what Hawks has as literal uh, the, the sound of frogs, um, which is also the same in. It, it kind of depends on which version of the novel you, you're um, you're going from, and I don't really want to go into all the details here, but there's some speculation that the original reference is not to uh, the sound of frogs, but rather to um, a kind of a, a late night uh, like signal made by by night by night guards to kind of to indicate a, a change of shift. Yeah, the the night watchman walks around with something like almost like a kind of clapper, you know, um, that you shake to give off a yeah kind of 
a, a wooden clacking noise um that as you said indicates change of the guard or, or yeah, uh, change of the watch and and there's kind of uh there, there's some sense that maybe that's what was the original reference was and so it's that sound is what's kind mm. of um reverberating out of the uh kind of the adjacent alley the uh Gu Shang. and then uh and then the last three in that particular line the last three characters is ting wei jen and so like uh like literally to listen not real you know not he's not sure of its it's like did i hear it uh and so it's again a a subtle reference to this reality fiction motif that we see again and again and what's interesting about that that character way is that it doesn't mean necessarily not so much as Uh, not yet exactly yeah you know uh so it's not not yet real um on the cusp of reality kind of exactly it adds to that being somewhere between real and Mm. dream i suppose there's some good i i I enjoyed these images in the in the later part of um the poem in in lines five and six so um line five is why does the candle Mm. shed its wax Mm -hmm. and tear uh in in the hawks and um yeah it, it literally it's kind of the dainty candle's tear is for whom shed basically the the word here for kind of dainty is ying ying and um i thought that this is possibly an oblique reference to what we mentioned before the ying ying zhuan the 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 biography oh, of ying ying which is the story on hmm. which the western chamber is based um it may just be it may be co- completely coincidental but i even though the tone is different the the sound hmm. is similar interesting um, but yeah this there's the image here of the of the wax running down the candle being like a like a tear so there's a there is a kind of somber sad tone to this poem um and then again um the next one reads why on each flower do angry drops appear which would seem to suggest these are teardrops falling on on the mm-hmm. the petals of flowers but a few lines up we hear that it's it's raining outside so it's really i think the rain the rain representing tears or representing you know sadness so it's it's the external world in some way um reflecting an internal uh emotional state and, and so and that particular line would be uh and so when i when i think of like uh like a flower worrying worrying flower you know that reminds me a lot of uh of Dayu. i thought that was kind of a uh like a sort of a thinly veiled reference to you could you could even like cho you could even kind of uh compare that to you know to furrowing your brows to, to pin may that we discussed before at the same time that yeah it's again the image of uh the crimson flower being being watered you know drop by drop yeah um and of course, Wei Wo Chen, like to be, you know, it's the, the, this displeased, this displeased flower is once again, you know, annoyed with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of a way to, to interpret that like, symbolically. Yeah. It, but because it's, because of the, it's, it's impossible to know, I suppose, whether it's angry with me or um, it's like sorrowful at the sight of my anger like caused by my mm-hmm. anger you know it, you can't see which way the 
which is passive and which is active in a way, I suppose. I, I would even say that the way that a lot of these poems work is that they are like explicitly created to be uh, interpretable in more than one way, right? And that's actually a sign of like a of a kind of a more masterful construction where there is this ambiguity and like you could kind of because of the way the language is and there's no spaces between words, it kind of lends itself toward that kind of uh, over-determination of, of meaning. Yeah, and the syntax is flexible and also the way that characters can be, depending on context, you know, noun, verb, or adjective mm -hmm. often. You mm -hmm. know, the, the, so, so that allows as well for the kind of plurality of uh, interpretation. Do you have anything else to say on spring or shall we look at summer? Um, let's, yeah, let's, let's move on, I think. Here we go. Okay, summer. A tired maid sleeps at her embroidery. A parrot in its gilt cage calls for tea. Pale moonbeams on an opened mirror fall, and burning sandal makes a fragrant pall. From amber cups, thirst-quenching nectar flows. A willow breeze through crystal curtains blows. In poolside kiosks, light-clad maidens flit, or dress for bed by open casements sit. So I, I think, you know, Hawks does a really great job with these poems. I um, I have to say, like he, this is an entirely different aspect to translation. You know, it's an entirely different set of skills. And I wouldn't have considered it kind of uh, in any way worthy of criticism if he'd chosen to have someone else work on the, the the translation of the poems mm. um or at least in rendering them poetic but he seems to have done that all himself and they are for the most part very impressive translations mm -hmm. what do we think of this one there's, there's a lot going on really um there there's really a lot going on in this one um i i mean one thing which leaps out to me in the in the second line is that a parrot in its gilt cage calls for tea so literally golden cage parrot calls out tea mm -hmm. um and and we see in the uh the last two poems in autumn and winter this thing of um the maids making tea for mm. Bao Yu. um and so perhaps he is in some way um identifying with the parrot you know he thinks of himself as the parrot you know repetitively crying out for tea you know, somehow repeating repeating something mindlessly, um, and there's obviously you know a tendency also to think of his life in this in the kind of living the life of a um, a rich noble family in China that he is um, you know living in a kind of golden cage, I suppose. Um, but maybe that's rather too obvious a uh, an analogy. Um, what uh, so what Hawks has rendered. Uh pale moonbeams i guess in the original would be shuyue uh which would be kind of an interesting term I, I was trying to research it a little bit um it's simply a way to designate the moon right but uh the the it's also what's the name of the maid uh musk musk she is the same it's the same shuyue yeah so it's somehow kind of it's like musky moon is almost what it is right but it, it's also a reference specifically to that maid. 
yeah yeah so it's referring to the moon it's referring to the maid um but also one other thing to note is that first character sure is homophonous with uh sure which means like um uh to radiate something like that um so it's used in the term radioactive for example but it kind of indicates a something radiating out from from a center so we can understand it also as kind of a homophony in a literal sense of the radiating mm. moon and and yeah so so the what what do you make of the reference to musk the this the maid here i mean maybe that's uh a sign of romantic involvement you know we saw the scene before where she was also in front of the mirror, right? Um, and so it's a question of maybe the analogy between uh, the moon and mirrors, right? We've, we've kind of seen that. We've seen the moon reflected in water, but the moon is itself a, you know, it's a reflecting surface. It's kind of like a mirror. Um, it kind of like, it, it's reflecting the, the sun's light in the evening, right? Yeah, I I understood it also kind of maybe as a, as a sideways reference to that because one of the commentaries mentions that it's um, this Shaya musky moon image appears in a poem from the like fourth or fifth century collection of poems um, in this rather kind of tumultuous period in Chinese history. There's a figure called Xu Ling who compiled this list of poems called Yu Tai Xin Yong Xu. So the new poems from the Jade Terrace, basically. Um, and in one of them, there's this line, She Yue, so the, the misty moon. Gong, meaning with. And Chang'e, Jing Shuang. So uh, the musky moon and Chang'e, Jing Shuang, literally means like compete for brightness. And so Chang'e, I think, is a, is a kind of mythical Chinese figure associated with the Milky Way. And so it's the musky moon and the Milky Way competing for brightness. Um, but because of that sense of competing for brightness, I did very much also lean towards the interpretation that this is talking about the maid musk. And, and, and you know, Chang'e also lives on the moon, right? A, a, a kind of a, a same idea, right? So, yeah, so we have this view of moonbeams pouring through the window, um, but this kind of hidden meaning encrypted in it. And it's also maybe a quick... So the very last line uh, references Julo, which is not exactly uh, Honglo, but it's similar, right? Uh, so instead of red chambers, it's, you know, uh, vermilion chambers. Right, yeah. It's, it's again, kind of a, I, I think, a, a self-reflexive moment at the end of the poem. There's, um, there is this, um, again, lines five and six are quite, quite good. I, I quite enjoyed them. In the Hawks, it's, from amber cups, thirst quenching nectar flows. A willow breeze through crystal curtains blows. Um, yeah, so it's mm. in the Chinese, it's hu po bei. So amber cup, qing is to like fall, to, to kind of tip to fall over, and he lu hua. So he is lotus. Lu is kind of like almost like dewdrops, something like that. And then hua is to slide, basically. It's kind of slippery, slidey. Um, and mm. and so the suggestion is that this yeah this lotus nectar almost is um, is flowing out from inside the cup um, as if as if being suggesting it's being drunk by someone. But in a way, I actually imagine this more as um, because they're nighttime poems and they're associated with sleep. I imagine this more like um, 
it's like Baoyu has fallen asleep sitting up in bed with a cup in hand. And as he kind of snoozes, mm. he tips over and the, the wine inside, which is what I think the, the lotus the lotus nectar is really, that somehow kind of gradually spills out, I suppose. Okay, that's good, yeah. Or, or you know, maybe maybe the gods got too drunk and they spilled their cups and that's the stars. Oh, that that's see. a good point, yeah. The yeah. same kind of, uh, you know, like uh, imaginative sort of... Uh, or maybe it's just in a few of these, there's kind of uh, these self-deprecating uh, remarks, and so maybe this is maybe he's had too much to drink, and he like he's just like literally spilled a cup, you know, and that, that's captured in the in this uh, instantaneous record, right? There's a sense in these poems, um, a kind of recognition, I suppose, of the fact that this is an imperial garden, right? Or this is the garden for receiving a member of the imperial household. And so in, in lines three and four, it uses these two terms, the last two characters. In three, it's gong jing, and in line four, it's yu xiang. So gong is a palace, literally, but here it's metonymy for imperial, really. And jing is the mirror. Uh, and then in the next line, yu also means like imperial. I mean, it kind of conveys a sense of like luxury or extremely high quality. Uh, well, you know, to return back to Chang'e, her like her palace is located on the moon, uh, so that could also be again a reference to the moon. It's the the reflective palace in the sky. Ah, uh, right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. But that that I, I think that supports your point. So it is kind of this. Oh no! So oh, so interesting. So. So I'd always imagined that the Gongjing was like a literal mirror in the room. But are we saying that the Gongjing, the, the palace, the reflective palace, is the moon itself? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I really think that it's supposed to be both. <laughs> I know that seems like a cop-out. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I really think it's like the better poem it is, the more, the more interpretations it allows. Um, especially in this, in this kind of uh, condensed format. So wait, how does Hawks render it? Pale moonbeams on an opened mirror fall. Okay, so he has the more conventional. What 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 you're saying? Yeah, the very literal, the very yeah. literal meaning. Right? But I, I wonder, you know, if it could be both. Well, well, Kai here is like to open, right? But but it could somehow be like emerge from. So it's almost like this talking about the light emerging from the moon. Um, and and the cool thing is in the well, I think the image that what makes the image more striking. Yeah, what I would say what makes the image more striking is in the next line we know that this is moonbeams piercing through a kind of a haze. So in the Hawks it's, uh, and burning sandal makes a fragrant pall. In the Chinese it's shi uh, ai, so shi being a room, um, ai being a kind mm -hmm. of mist or haze. So the room is misty or there is a, there is a, there is a haze within the room. And then the next characters are um, tan yun. So tan is a kind of, a kind of tree. Um, I guess it's a kind of fragrant tree that can be... So perhaps it's like sandalwood or something. Perhaps mm -hmm. it's like sandalwood or something. And then yun is the cloud. So um, clouds of this kind of fragrant smoke from this thing. And so it's, I guess, combining two, yeah, two quite striking images. The In the darkness, these kind of slightly mysterious clouds of haze and then shining through them, these these bright beams mm -hmm. of moonlight. 
Do you want to talk anything about the final two lines, the the imagery there? What do you think? Do you have any? I'm not sure actually. Well, I thought the point that you mentioned about Zhulo, uh, the the Vermilion buildings, I think is is uh, is interesting, and it's somehow contrasted with the previous line where we see that um, the the Chinese is Shui uh, Ting, so a water pavilion, Chu Chu, so everywhere. So everywhere, all within the water pavilion, uh, mm -hmm. Wan is the word for silk, and it's in the character Li Wan's mm. name. And we imagine it to be kind of a sort of pure white silk somehow. And then Dong is, is movement activity, you know. So the water pavilion is a kind of a flurry of white silk, but really it's um, a flurry of people wearing white silk, I suppose. And so it's, you know, all of the uh, different people, different young women kind of coming and going within it, right? And so that is quite a kind of uh, active, mm. energetic image. And then the following line is um, Lian Juan, which is like a, the Lian is like a, the blinds, basically, something like that, right? Uh, and Juan is kind of rolled up. So the, by the rolled up blinds, Zhulo of the red building, Ba Wan Zhuang. So Ba is to finish, and Wan Zhuang is like almost like your preparations for bed. Your, your nightly, the, you know, the cleaning yourself before bed, I suppose. Um, which is, by contrast, a very sort of like mm. peaceful, yeah. sedate image. Um, so there's that kind of, a, yeah, that dynamic contrast. 